Welcome to the Grove Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. And now to this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. I would like to think that I don't make decisions out of pride, but that's pretty prideful in and of itself, right? I mean, when you think about it. I would like to think that I make mature, spirit-driven decisions, that everything I do is guided by His hand, but that's not true. It's not even close to true. By the time this day ends, I will break that numerous times. I think that pride is something we all struggle with. I think pride is something that is knitted into the human nature after the fall. I think that pride is the thing that drives a lot of our wrong decisions. And by pride, I don't mean the good kind of pride. Like you take pride in your work. Or you have positive pride towards people. I got to be honest. I'm very prideful in a positive way about you guys all the time. The things that I see you doing and hear you doing and the lives that you're touching, I, it just, it, it, I can't tell you how it makes me feel. Um, you guys are amazing. I, that's that kind of pride I feel, right? And that's, that's not what I'm talking about here. This is the selfish pride, the pride that says me first, the pride that says I'm above all of this other stuff and that all the world revolves around this guy. The pride that drives me to make decisions based on selfishness. Today we're going to continue this journey through David's life and we're going to look at wedding bells and dead Philistines. We're not going to literally look at them, but we're going to talk about them. And I would really like to entitle this sermon something different, but you just can't throw this out on social media. So the kids that are left in here are a little bit older, maybe. Instead of dead Philistines, I could have put another word there, and you'll figure out what that word is here in a little while. It's kind of gory, and it's kind of weird. And I'll explain as we go. I hope that maybe intrigued you a little bit. David, as we have seen thus far, is a man set apart by God, that the Spirit of God is on him, and God has been leading him. And last week, we looked at a a contrast between David and Saul, the king, who because of his pride and because of his disobedience, God turned away from him and withdrew his spirit and gave it to David. And so we've been looking at David last week versus Saul. And this week, that contrast continues in the story in a way that's really magnified. And so we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 17 through 30. This is where David gets married, but not without some challenges. Now remember, when, when David went and he spoke to Saul, and he asked about what would happen, and he spoke with, actually, he spoke with the men uh, of Israel about what would happen if someone slayed uh, Goliath, what, what did they tell him? Not rhetorical, you can answer this. What did they tell him the reward would be? Anybody remember? 
you get to marry his daughter. And he has multiple daughters. So you get to marry a daughter. So uh, that is a promise that the king made to anyone who would defeat Goliath. Not only would you get that, but you would get some fame and you would get some, some compensation. There was, there was this prize to be had for killing Goliath. And so David kills Goliath, this young man, probably a young teenager, kills Goliath. And he comes back and he begins to grow and get closer with King Saul, serves him. Saul sees that David's this competition and the pride and arrogance of Saul begins to really show its face against David. And there becomes this bitterness that Saul has toward David. But he's promised him his daughter. And so we pick this up in 1 Samuel 18 Verse 17, then Saul said to David, here is my elder daughter, Merab. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be, a val- be, only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. <laughs> for Saul thought, let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. So Saul's plan, as we saw last week, was to give David his daughter's hand in marriage but then to send him off to fight the Philistines. He gave him a thousand men, wanted him to be over this thousand men. And remember, we talked about this last week. He knew David's character. He knew that David wouldn't just send his thousand men out there, but as the leader of that thousand, would be in the front of the line battling the battle himself. And Saul thought, if I put David in harm's way, I don't have to kill him. We'll let the Philistines kill him. Because the Philistines were mighty warriors. They were rough people. They were actually more militarily advanced than the Israelites. They had more metal. They were were more fierce. And they were taking over the place and killing off all the Jewish people. And so they were a vicious people. And Saul knew, I'm going to promise you my daughter's hand, but I'm going to send you out to fight Philistines, and we'll see what happens. But David said to to Saul, verse 18, Who am I, and who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be the son-in-law of the king? I am no one. I don't deserve that. See the difference there? Yet again, we see this contrast of David, who's humble, who realizes that his value isn't anything compared to the king. That in and of itself, he is nothing. Where Saul, on the other hand, full of pride and arrogance, wants to manipulate the whole situation and have the man killed. Again, the contrast can't be any more stark, can it? One driven by humility, the other one by pride. One driven by the Lord, the other one driven by his own selfish and evilness. His own selfishness and evilness. Verse 19. But at the time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given instead to Adriel, the Hamolahothite. I actually mispronounced that. Maholathite. Maholathite for a wife. So, so Saul says, here's my daughter. Psych! Here's my eldest daughter, my beautiful daughter. No, you can't actually have her. 
Again, Saul's motivations weren't God's motivation. It wasn't God motivating him. It wasn't the truth of God. It wasn't the power of God. It wasn't the will of God that motivated him. It was his own selfishness. He was moving chess pieces, and he thought he was smarter and bigger and better because of his power and because of his control. And so he withdraws the daughter and gives her to someone else. Verse 20, now Saul's daughter Michal loved David, and she told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Bling. This was a cartoon, the, the ideal light would have gone over Saul's head. So here's the picture. David is out conquering people, and he's becoming a man of the people, as we saw last week, and everybody loves David, including Saul's second daughter, Michal. She is infatuated with David. She is warm for his form. And she goes and she tells her father, um, Dad, I really, really like David. And I know you... This, this part's added. I know you promised him, my sister. Thank goodness you withdrew it because here I am. And Saul... Idea light bulb goes on his head. Bling. If I invite him in, I can earn his trust, I can have more control over him, and I can manipulate the situation even more. Because not only am I his king, I'm his father-in-law, and I have my daughter as a pawn in this game. Which will come back, you will see at some point. This daughter who he gives later he will take away as well. Saul is a despicable character. I mean, who in their right mind looks at their daughter and says, hmm, how can I use my daughter to manipulate things? How can I use my daughter to get what I want? Well, Saul does. So Saul thought, this is a great idea. Saul thought, let me give her to him, verse 21, that she may be a snare for him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. I'm thinking, eh, but, not, but not David. And Saul commanded his servants Speak to David in private and say to him, Behold, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now then, become the king's son-in-law. And so Saul's servants go and they speak to David and they tell David these things. And then in the next verse, verse 23, he says, Does it seem to you a little thing? He said, David answers this back to, to the servants, these kind of messengers that are going between he and Saul. Does it seem to you a little thing? to become the king's son-in-law, since I am a poor man and I have no reputation. Now the servants went back and told Saul this. It's kind of like the note passing, you know, when you're in, in, in elementary school. Hey, hey, do you like me? Check yes or no. You know, it's that kind of thing. There's this passing these notes back and forth kind of between Saul and David because Saul can't stand to look at David and he's got him out fighting and he's, and he's put him in danger and he's sending these messages back and forth. 
And David doesn't bite, does he? He doesn't bite the second time. He says, wait, hold up. Does it seem to you a little thing that me of no reputation, of no wealth, of no background can become your son-in-law? I have nothing to offer you, is in essence what he's saying to you. I am poor. I am a shepherd. I am a nothing. Again, we see humility versus pride and arrogance. Verse 24. And the servants of Saul told him, this is what David said, verse 25, then Saul said, thus shall you say to David, thus shall you say, that's so bad, thus shall you say to David, the king desires no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. The guys in the room right now are like, what? Are you kidding me? No. It's not uncommon in Middle Eastern times, uh, in the Middle East, in the first century Palestine, and before, for you to cut off parts of your enemy as proof that you killed them. It could be a hand. It could be a foot could be a head. It could be other things, gentlemen. Yes. Horrible things. Horrible things. And so he says, you can't afford to be my son-in-law. That's okay. Here's what I want you to do. Go kill a hundred Philistines and bring me back. Yeah. Now, by the way, the Egyptians were also a community that practiced circumcision. And so when they defeated an enemy, they cut off, well, never mind. This isn't uncommon, is what I'm saying. This isn't weird, even though it's weird to us. This is a common practice, but this is very specialized. This is taking one form of a trophy and making it very much more detailed and difficult and precise. It would mean that it was a lot harder to do and would take a lot more time and possibly be a lot more dangerous for you if you were having to stick around the battlefield to collect your your foreskins. That is a sentence I never thought I would say out loud. So, he sends David off to do this thing, knowing that it would be difficult, hard, and dangerous, hoping that in the meantime, David would be taken care of, and he wouldn't have to lift a hand, and it would look like it was something that was good, and they could celebrate David, and then he could ride off into the sunset as King Saul could and never have to worry about David again. He wanted David killed, and so he made this a hard thing to do so that he would have a larger opportunity for death. Saul, out of his pride and arrogance, couldn't stand the person who was humble and was following Christ. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hands of the Philistines. 
And when his servants told David these words, verse 26, it pleased David. It pleased him well to be the king's son-in-law. So before the time that had been allotted had expired, David arose and went along with his men and killed not 100, but 200 Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king. Why anyone would want that, I have no idea. And David did this so that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter Michal for a wife. Yet again... Saul puts up this impossible task, this dangerous task, this task that should have ended David's life, and David succeeds. David not only succeeds, he goes above and beyond. He says, you want foreskins? I got your foreskins. I'll raise you. I'm all in. I know this is weird, guys, and it's nasty, and it's just ugly, And that's how ugly and black Saul's heart was. I mean, who in their right mind would request this? Even though it was typical to do things like this, this was on a whole different level. This reveals the darkness of his heart. It reveals just how driven he was by his pride and arrogance and selfishness. He longed to keep power, and he, was, and he was making all his decisions out of pride and fear. But David succeeded. Not only did he succeed, he went above and beyond. And in so doing, how ironic is that Saul's plan for evil turned into David's victory. How common does that happen? Well, we're told in Scripture that what the enemy wants as evil, for evil, to do evil, God can turn into something good. What was meant for evil, God turns the page and something good comes out of it. And it happens over and over and over again in this series between Saul and David. Saul desires something that is evil and bad, and he tries to, and he tends to do evil towards David, and David is overcome and and overcomes the situation and comes out shining. And not only does David come out alive, he comes out on top. He comes out better. He comes out even, even more praised. And see, here's the thing, guys, about pride and arrogance and fear. When we make decisions out of that, when we're driven by those things, our plans are always thwarted. We might win a victory, but in the long run, we lose. Because pride and arrogance and selfishness And fear always lead to wrong decisions with major consequences. And you would think that Saul would have learned his lesson by now. 
You would think that Saul would not be so stubborn, but I would think that by now I would have learned my lesson too. If I were to step back from my life and I looked at the whole thing before me, I would say, what in the world are you thinking? Why are you doing this again? Why are you back at this place where you're making decisions out of pride and arrogance and selfishness? I mean, Saul's story is my story. But I want my story to be David's story. Saul's story is one that is very human and I connect with because I understand what he's doing and why he's doing it. I understand he's motivated by fear and selfishness and sometimes anger and all of those negative emotions, but he's doing everything he can to keep power. And he's doing it out of pride and arrogance and selfishness. And those plans always end in destruction. I want to be more like David. I want to be someone who I know is humble and just driven by the goodness of God. Verse 28, but when Saul saw and knew that Yahweh was with David and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. Think about that. Saul saw his relationship with his daughter as a pawn to be moved around a chessboard. He didn't love her, he used her. How pathetic is that? That the love of a father for his daughter was such that he cared more about himself than he did his daughter that that love was eroded, that it all became just another thing to be used. And in return, she loved the man that Saul hated. She loved David. And we didn't look at this little section before this, But not only did she love David, but the eldest son of Saul loved David. His name was Jonathan. And we're told that Jonathan was connected with David at heart strength. Like they were soul connected. They were brothers. They were blood brothers. They were tight. And so Saul has lost his son and his daughter to the love of David. They loved David. It doesn't say that they loved their father. They loved David because they saw in him something different. They loved David because the Lord was with him and because he was humble and because he just did the right thing. They loved David because he was a genuine, real man. Did he make mistakes? Oh yeah, big ones, and we'll see. He made some really horrible mistakes. But David was just a man who loved God and loved other people, and he did what he was supposed to do. He was a man of integrity and grace and love. And people were drawn to that. And he was a man that was bold and brave, not out of his own strength. It wasn't out of arrogance that he had. David was bold and brave because he knew God was with him. And when God was with him and God was moving through him, he was victorious 
And that's why people loved him. They didn't love him because he did that thing. They loved him because they saw God reflected in him. And what they were really drawn to was the God in David. And we will see that over and over and over again because every time someone says something about love for David, it always says the Lord was with him. They're drawn to God in David. And here sits Saul in his pride and his arrogance and his selfishness. Oh Lord, help me to be more like David. Because Saul's is nothing but destruction. And then this section closes with this thought. Then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle, and as often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was highly esteemed. More and more, the hand and the favor of God was on David, so much so that he became the brightest star in Saul's universe. And it wasn't because of him. It was because the Lord was with him. Now we're looking at David, who's a king, who becomes a king. We're looking at David, who's got all this stuff together, right? He, he's got the king's wife. He's the bravest, boldest. He's the best at what he does. He's got all of this going for him. It's easy to look at all of these successes and see that. But that's not what we're supposed to see when we look at David. What we're supposed to see is humility. What we're supposed to see is a servant attitude. What we see above all else is God reflected in him. And so I asked this question of myself this week, and I'm going to ask it of you. When people look at you, what do they see? Do they see a title? Do they see the things you have? When they look at you, do they see a name? When they look at you, do they see certificates on a wall? Do they see athletic ability? When people look at you, do they see selfishness and pride and arrogance? Or, throw all that out, when people look at you, do they see God in you? We hope you found this week's message meaningful and impactful. And as always, don't just hear it, but put it into practice. Until next time, have a good one.